The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. We're going to talk about what the Bible says about depression. How can you be depressed after that song? Wow. I guess if you're not saved or dead. Uh, what a beautiful song. Just so you know, uh, Austin Thompson, who sang the solo, he, God brought him our way through a prayer group that my wife and I were a part of, uh, through God's providential circumstances. So what a blessing. He's an intern here just for the summer uh, from Arizona. And actually, we've got a lot of... I met an intern last week who's here from Chicago uh, here at Google just for the summer. And then we've got interns from the East Coast. We also got some interns, I think, from Pittsburgh just for the summer. So God's uh, blessed us with uh, some wonderful short-term people. So praise God for that. We're going to go ahead and look at the Word of God together, and while you're getting your Bible out and ready to go, and also raise your hand if you need a Bible, and as the ushers are coming to give you a Bible, the children who are fifth grade on down that would like to be a part of Children's Church, you can go ahead and meet uh, the Bradleys in the back lobby there, and we'll see you close to 1230-ish to see what you learned in Children's Church today. And the rest of us, we will be looking at God's Word together on a very important topic. And like I said, if you got your bulletin there, last, I guess, four summers, uh, we've been doing at times just a special series of messages, what the Bible says about various topics, usually very practical or things that people are interested in or pertinent to their life. Sometimes they can be a little controversial just in the Christian world of how people view the certain topics and so the one today is no exception what the bible says about depression very important we need to talk about it we need to address it i don't know if you've ever heard a sermon of that nature uh, i know i haven't given a thorough one on this topic in the 20 plus years that i've been preaching so i've been thinking for quite some time about it actually all summer long praying doing research um, reflecting on my life and the many years of counseling that i've been able to do with people the more I thought about it and studied and prepared, the more I realized this is a very complex subject. So just so you know, this is really what the Bible says about depression, part one today. Uh, so I'm thinking two to three weeks just to scratch the surface, do it justice and give and really to be helpful to you in a real practical way. Uh, just cramming it all in in one sermon, in my opinion, would not be sufficient. So just so you're aware, we might... We might finish point one out of those seven there on your handout. But you don't need to worry about the outline or the handout. More importantly today, you need to be listening, following along, searching the scripture with me as we learn together on this very, very sensitive and important topic. Uh, just some observations about depression. Did a lot of research on uh, the internet and other sources and quickly realized that Wow, there's a lot of confusion on the topic of depression. But there were some resources that at least agreed on some basic statistics regarding depression. So here's just a few of those. Depression is widespread in our world today. 350 million people per year worldwide, they say, suffer from depression from one degree to another. 21 alone in the United 21 million every year in America people who struggle, battle, deal with. Actually, it's 21 to 40 million. It's probably actually more than that. So common. 
Uh, it is, quote, the leading cause of disability worldwide and in the United States of America, end quote. Pretty much say all the journals that are experts on this. The leading cause of disability worldwide and in the United States. The demographic or age group where depression becomes manifest mostly is between ages 15 to 44. The median age being around age 30. Don't raise your hand if you're age 30, but I feel sorry for you. It's kind of where it's routinely or typically sets in uh, on an average, but 15 to 44. Um, this day and age, it's treated mostly with antidepressants. That is a drug medication, pharmaceutical medication. As a result, antidepressants, the drugs, are the second leading pharmaceutical drug in the world today. Second leading because it is so dominant around the world that people are taking these drugs. There are, over, there are over two dozen different antidepressant drugs. One, just being Prozac that you might be familiar with, and many others with long names and many syllables that maybe you've never heard of before in your life. Uh, 30,000 people a year commit suicide in the United States. Actually, it's more than that. And the vast majority of these people suffer from some form of depression, one or another, one degree to another, that we know of ahead of time. 90% uh, of the suicides that happen are recorded in America or more. Uh, the people who did commit suicide were known to suffer with depression and also many times, on many occasions, had problems with drug abuse or a drug problem or substance abuse, whether it was uh, marijuana and other drugs or even alcohol. Very common. Those go hand in hand. All the journals say that women suffer or struggle more with depression in all of its forms and degrees, more so than men. Four times women more die in the United States of America from suicide than men. And twice as many try to commit suicide in America, more so than men. Everybody acknowledges that statistic. So those are just some basic stats that I gleaned from some journals. And uh, I landed, I mean, there's so much you can read, but I just landed on three reliable sources in the end. It was a Stanford Medical Journal and its authoritative uh, study on depression. The United States government has their own health uh, compendium or site as well, and they have a definition uh, and causes and all that stuff of depression. And then the World Health Organization. So those are the last, the three that I distilled it down. And they all said the exact same thing about what it is, the causes for it, the solutions, how it should be treated. is identical. So that would be the common perspective. As I read all that, I thought, well, they're saying the same thing. Some of it's helpful. But at the same time, there is a huge gaping hole of silence that isn't being addressed in these authoritative journals and articles on the topic. Uh, we're going to talk about that huge gaping hole, and that's where I think the Bible helps us. We'll answer that question and deal with what I think is negligent and how it's being treated and addressed and defined by the world. Um, the hardest part of the big struggle was coming up with a definition of depression. I've been counseling depressed people for, let's think back, over 20 years in different contexts. 
to different degrees, more so on a regular basis as a pastor. I was thinking in all the, I'd counsel all the time. And probably the majority of the counseling that I do, and this is with Christian people, has to do or is related to depression. It really is. It is the number one ailment. It is the number one struggle, regardless of how it's manifest or to what degree. That is the main thing that I have to deal with, distress, uh, talk to people about and discuss is depression. So I was just reminded all the more how important this is to know what depression is. Does the Bible address it? Uh, but before we even go there, we have to define it. That was my struggle in reading these journal articles, coming up with a definition of depression. You can't really counsel somebody who says they have depression unless you agree upon the definition of depression. Can't do it. That's true of any topic. If you want to discuss a topic with somebody and have an interchange, especially somebody who has a different point of view than you do, if you can't agree on the basic definitions, you can't have a dialogue that is edifying or helpful. And you can't find a solution. So the first thing I was looking for to be helpful was, okay, I'm just going to read all these journals and come up with a definition, an accepted, universally accepted definition of depression and start there. But the problem was I couldn't. So listen carefully to just three examples from those three sources I told you. Here's the World Health Organization. They all begin the same way, depression. And then they, and they say, what is depression? So when I read that title, what is depression, I'm thinking, oh, goody, I'm going to get a definition of what depression is. But if you listen carefully, realize as I read these answers to the question, what is depression, there really isn't a definition in the answer. So listen carefully. Here's the World Health Organization. Depression is a common mental disorder. That's not really a definition. That doesn't really help me anyway. Because there's a lot of different mental disorders, depression only being one of them. So this is their definition. Uh, depression is a common mental disorder. Globally, more than 350 million people of all ages suffer from depression. That's not a definition. That's just a statistic. Depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide and is a major contributor to the global burden of disease. More women are affected by depression than men. Depression is different from usual mood fluctuations and short-lived emotional responses to challenges in everyday life, especially when long-lasting and with moderate and severe intensity. So that's their definition. And I'm thinking, well, that wasn't really a definition. The closest they got to a definition was saying that it was a, an extended or chronic mood fluctuation. So that wasn't really helpful in trying to come up with the definition. Here's another one. This is from the United States government and their health resource. And here they have the heading, what is depression? Oh, goody, I'm going to get a definition. And here's what it says. Everyone occasionally feels blue or sad. But these feelings are usually short-lived and pass within a couple of days. When you have depression, it interferes. Notice they're de defining depression with depression. You can't do that. You can't define the word using the word. That's a basic rule. When you have depression, it interferes with daily life and causes pain for both you and those who care about you. Depression is a common but serious illness. Okay, they didn't really define it, but they promised they would. Here's the last sentence in their definition. Many people with a depressive illness never seek treatment, but the majority, even those with the most severe depression, can get better with treatment. Medication, psychotherapies, and other methods can effectively treat people with depression. Okay, so I'm... I'm not getting much help here in definitions of depression. Why is this so important? Well, over the years, I, I can think of people that I have counseled and talked to, and they came to me, and so what's your problem? And their problem was depression. 
And then they start talking and then I stop and say, well, what is depression? And I try to get them to define it so that we can diagnose it from Scripture. You can't diagnose something and treat something unless you have a definition. Definition, a definition is part of the diagnosis. And then finally, here's the Stanford Medical Journal and its authoritative statement on answering the question, what is depression? Major depression, also known as clinical or unipolar depression, is one of the most common mental illnesses. That's not a definition. Over 9 million American adults suffer from clinical depression each year. The estimate is likely to be higher since depression commonly remains undiagnosed and untreated in large percentages of the U.S. population. Major depression is more than a temporary state or feeling sad. Okay, there's almost a definition. Major depression is more than a temporary state of feeling sad. But it is a persistent state. Okay, that's their definition. What is depression? It is a persistent state of feeling sad that can significantly impair an individual's thoughts, behavior, daily activities, and physical health. And then they go on another paragraph that doesn't help. And then the last paragraph, they say mood disorders are highly treatable conditions. So according to the Stanford Medical Journal, uh, depression is a persistent state of sadness and a mood disorder. Of sorts. Um, so, going back to a definition, uh, it was hard to find. So I, I tried to glean those together, look at, uh, read through all that stuff. So I came up with my own definition of depression. If you want to write it down in your notes, you can. Uh, and I'm going to expand on this uh, a little later next week and the week after. I would just say, I'd just make it real simple. Def, uh, a definition of depression, uh, four points, kind of bullet points: intense sadness, grief, or distress. It is intense sadness, grief, or distress. Uh, another thing, to be deeply troubled in mind. To be deeply troubled in mind or your thought life. Another component, to be emotionally distraught. Emotionally distraught. And then lastly, I put, to be overcome with hopelessness and loss of joy. Overcome. Overwhelmed with hopelessness and loss of joy. I think that's a fair concise definition of the main elements of depression and with that as a definition now we can see what does the bible have to say does it have to say anything at all about depression it's actually going to be my first point um, before i get to the first point i want to address the top popular myths about depression these are ones that i hear all the time these are ones that i read in all these journals so they're pretty common. It could be that when I read one of these, maybe you believe this. And I, here I am up here saying that's a myth. You shouldn't believe it. So if you want to talk more about it, we can later. Or maybe I'll answer that specific question over the next three weeks. But in my opinion, and also a lot of these I gleaned from conversation with Christians over the years and years and years of counseling when the topic of depression in its various degrees has come up. So here some very common myths about depression. Number one, myth number one, there is a clear universally agreed upon definition of what depression is among professional psychologists and psychiatrists. That is a myth. From all the reading I did, there isn't. As a matter of fact, one journal honestly says uh, it's hard to find an agreed upon definition. So thank you for being honest, whoever that was. But that's really important because with another 
disease, a, a real um, biological, physiological disease, uh, whether it's strep throat, there's a universally agreed upon definition of strep throat. What it is, its cure, etc. Not true of depression. Myth number two, depression is to be diagnosed and treated from only a medical perspective. At least in all the journal, journals I read. It's, it's treated strictly from a medical point of view. And philosophically from a naturalistic point of view. On the human level. It's strictly seen as just a physical disease. They're calling it an illness. So the myth is that it should be diagnosed and treated only from a medical perspective. And not outside of that. Like from a religious or biblical perspective. Uh, myth number three. Depression is an illness or disease. I would posit that uh, depression is not an illness or a disease. Technically speaking. Kind of like the world uh, in the last, since the time of Freud in the early 1900s, the secular, unbelieving, unbible world has been successful in diagnosing all of the common plights of humanity and couching them in medical terminology. Whereas historically that wasn't always the case. For example, drunkenness, drinking too much alcohol, has, was considered all the way up until the 1800s as a sin and a moral behavior that was wrong, drunkenness. But since the time of Freud, it has been re-diagnosed, re-categorized, and labeled now drunkenness is a disease. That's what the world says. The Bible says, no, drunkenness is a sin. That's what Ephesians 5.18 says. That's what Proverbs uh, 20 says. So that's very common for the secular world to redefine things. And I would say depression has been around a long time. And it doesn't, wasn't until this last century, the 20th century, where depression for the first time was categorized in medical terms as being an illness or a disease, and I would say it's, it's not. That, by saying that depression is not an illness or a disease, I'm not dismissing it. I'm not saying it's not real. It is real. Depression is real. It is real. affects a lot of people, but I would say it's not an illness or disease. Myth number four, depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain. That's what the journal articles say. Just matter-of-factly, oh, we know. It is caused by chemical imbalances in the brain, the physical brain. Whether it's too much serotonin, not enough serotonin, dopamine, whatever else. So all we got to do, figure out your levels of uh, dopamine and serotonin and then just add a little, take a little away and poof, maybe we can heal it just with medication. But that's what they are saying. That's how depression is caused. And I would say, well, no, it's not. Chemical imbalances can contribute to the problem, exacerbate the problem, but that is not the sole cause of the problem. Myth number Five, psychologists and psychiatrists are the only qualified experts in dealing with depression. And I would say no. I think pastors should be qualified. Christians should be qualified to deal with depression. But not all pastors are qualified to deal with depression. No, that's a different issue. Number six, myth number six, depression is not a spiritual or a theological issue. Very common to hear that. Depression is not a spiritual issue. It's strictly a medical issue. It's strictly a physical issue. It's strictly a physiological issue. I'd say, no, that's not true. It is a spiritual issue. Number seven, myth number seven, depression is not in the Bible. That is a quote from people that I have counseled over the years. Every time I hear that from a Christian, I am literally, I stop my, and I am shocked that I am hearing this from a Christian. The depression is not in the Bible? Wow. Man, I am glad that they said that because now I know, wow, we, this needs major attention. We are lacking information here and know the truth and the truth will set you free. Everybody turn your Bible, if you have one, to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm, I'm reading out of the New American Standard. Second Corinthians is a very 
This is Paul's most autobiographical book where he just tells all about his struggles, personal struggles, ministerial struggles, the trials he's been through, the torment that he has been in, chapter after chapter after chapter. And so we get a glimpse of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And look at what he says in verse 6. But God, but God, it's a contrast, but God. But God who comforts the depressed, says the New American Standard. That is a great translation of the Greek word. Depression is in the Bible. The word depressed is in 2 Corinthians 7, 6. There it is. And the meaning in 2 Corinthians 7, 6 is exactly what we're talking about. This being emotionally distraught and distressed and overcome with grief and hopelessness. I love this verse. But God who comforts the depressed. So just shortening it. If you get anything out of the sermon, you can take this away with you. God comforts the depressed. Amen. God comforts the depressed. If you are a Christian, there is your answer. 2 Corinthians 7, 6, But God who comforts the depressed comforted us when He brought Titus. Let's go to Luke. How about Jesus? Did He ever talk about depression? Absolutely. Again, uh, I've heard this firsthand from Christians. Uh, depression, it's not in the Bible. So look at uh, Luke chapter 4. And then we'll, we're going to turn also, keep going back to Matthew chapter 9 in just a second. So Luke chapter 4, verse 18. So Jesus begins his ministry. And at the beginning of his ministry, he announces and proclaims wh who he is and what his mission is. He is the sent Messiah. God the Father sent him. The Spirit of God has come upon him to empower him for his three-year public teaching ministry. And his main goal is to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy. So he quotes from the prophets in the Old Testament. And so verse 18 in Luke 4 is a fulfilled prophecy that Jesus owns for himself. And he says, here's why I came as the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Messiah, because he, God the Father and the Spirit, have anointed me to do what? To preach the good news of the gospel to the poor. That is the poor in spirit. Poor sinners is really the emphasis. And he, God the Father and the Spirit, have sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery to sight to the blind, that's spiritually blind, to set free those who are downtrodden. And all English translations, they give different translations of that word downtrodden. It means distressed oppressed, depressed. Jesus specifically referred to depression and people who suffered from depression and even chronic depression or what we would call clinical depression. Now, now we'll go to Matthew chapter 9, another point in his ministry. Look at verse 36. Jesus is ministering to the multitudes. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands in the crowds who followed him around. They were very needy. He met their needs. He preached to them. He fed them food. Uh, he healed them. And all the while he knows that the shepherds of Israel were supposed to be doing this. And they weren't. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the compromised Jewish leadership. And as a result, God's people, the Israelites, the covenant people of God, were without a shepherd. Without uh, one who cared for the soul. That's what a shepherd is. Is a, a, a doctor of the soul, the one who cares for your soul and your spirit and your mind and how you think and your emotions and nurtures you in every area of your life, providing this spiritual care. And Jesus saw and knew firsthand these people were being neglected. They didn't have a shepherd who cared for them and was meeting their needs. 
as God designed. That's why he says in verse 36, and seeing the multitudes, Jesus looking around at the multitudes after interacting with them, getting to know them, says he felt compassion for them. Literally in the Greek text, he hurt in his gut for them. Literally hurt in his gut, lost his appetite, got sick because of his love, care and compassion and the sadness he felt for them. Why was he so sad and brokenhearted for these people? Because he knew their condition. He felt compassion in his gut for them because, here's the purpose clause, because they were distressed. They were depressed. This is a very strong word, a very graphic word in every sense of the term. They were thrown down. They were trampled upon. They were distressed in spirit. They were literally depressed of the worst order in an ongoing manner. That was the condition of these people. They were distressed and down... Downcast like sheep without a, a shepherd. There was some serious hopelessness they had in their life. So there's just three quick examples that depression is in the Bible. Myth number eight, pastors are not qualified to deal with serious depression. I would say that they are, they should be. But again, not all pastors are. But pastors can be equipped to deal with depression. Myth number nine, depression is a recent phenomenon. I'd say no, it's not. It wasn't diagnosed for the first time by Freud in the 20th century. Depression has been around since... The first human beings God created. Myth number 10, if you just had everything you wanted, then you wouldn't get depressed. That's a common American myth. If you just had everything you wanted, then you wouldn't get depressed. If I just had that, if I just had that, if my spouse just behaved this way, if my children just behaved this way, if I just had this amount of money, if I just could achieve this goal, then I wouldn't be depressed. That's a lie. It's a myth. Uh, myth number 11, biblical counselors don't believe in depression. So, uh, those in the Christian world called biblical counselors, sometimes called nuthetic counselors, uh, this school of thought in Christianity that says that the Bible is sufficient to deal with many of our problems, uh, they get a bad rap. So I've got a few myths regarding biblical counselors. I would put me in the category of being a biblical counselor. I am a counselor. I'm a trained professional counselor. I'm an experienced counselor. I'm not the greatest counselor in the world, but I am trained and I do have experience and I know human behavior and I know God's word and I rely on him and ask. Actually, I know that the greatest counselor of all is the wonderful counselor. According to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter nine, the wonderful counselor, that's Jesus, right? And then Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, another great counselor. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will not leave you as orphans, but he will be your paraclete. He will be your counselor. So the Christians, we have the greatest counselors of all. Jesus Christ himself and the Spirit of God. And as a result, I can have success as a counselor. But anyway, speaking of biblical counselors and some myths regarding them and their reputation, uh, it is common to say that biblical counselors don't believe in depression. I've, I've had people tell me that to my face. Well, you don't believe in depression. Really? That is not true. And then actually many times I've said, I actually do believe in depression. Did you know that I get depressed? And I'm not kidding. Most of the time when I say that to a Christian that I'm uh, counseling, their response is, really? And they are legitimately surprised. Pastor, you, you get depressed? You don't act like it when you're up there preaching. Well, I, I can't be depressed in the pulpit, preaching the word of God. But yeah, absolutely. That is a real issue that I have to battle as well. Myth number 12, Christians agree on the definition, cause, and care for depression. That is totally not true. There is great disharmony, disunity, infighting, arguing, debate 
that goes on in the Christian world about how to deal with it, how to define it, how to approach it. Does the Bible address it? Does it not? Myth number 13, biblical counselors don't believe depression has anything to do with chemical imbalances. People have told me that as well. Well, you don't believe chemical imbalances have anything to do with depression. Well, yeah, I do. I do. And biblical counselors, neuthetic counselors, believe that as well, just from a different perspective. Uh, myth number 14, biblical counselors don't believe in using medications. That's also not true. At least I believe in using medications when appropriate for legitimate medical problems. I am the Sudafed king, especially this time of the year. Um, myth number 15, biblical counselors say to get rid of depression, just they tell you just to memorize Bible verses. I have heard that one. I have been assaulted with that one. <laughs> yeah, you biblical counselors, you just say, memorize Bible verses and my depression will go away. Well, actually, no, I don't believe that. As a matter of fact, that's Feudal, that is meaningless. That's a direct violation of what Jesus said when you just memorize something as an incantation and saying it over and over again in a repetitive fashion. That violates Matthew 6. I absolutely don't believe in that. You say a Bible verse, you memorize it, and magically, poof! Like rubbing the genie's lamp and your problems go away? No. I don't believe in that. Myth number 17. Spirit-filled and mature Christians don't battle with or suffer from depression. I've heard that one a lot. That is not true. Myth number 17. This is probably the most controversial of all. Depression is always a bad thing. I'm saying that as a myth. So the opposite is true. So I would posit that depression is not always a bad thing. And I'm going to tell you why, if not today, in the next two weeks. I don't believe depression is always a bad thing. The experts tell us that one of the main causes of depression is, get this, guilt. And all the way starting from Freud in the early 1900s up until this day, the secular world, psychologists, secular psychiatrists tell us one of the main things you need to do is you've got to get rid of that guilt somehow. You've got to smother out that guilt. You've got to drown out that guilt. You've got to hide that guilt. You've got to resist that guilt. You've got to retrain your conscience so that you don't feel guilty at all. In other words, guilt is bad. And I would say that's a myth. I would say just the opposite, that guilt is not always bad. Guilt is actually a good thing. Get this. Guilt is a gift from God. How can I say that? Well, as physical pain is to the body, like when you touch something hot and you, burn, you feel a sensation of burning, that is pain. That, that is pain to the physical body to let you know and to warn you, your hand is burning, your hand is burning, your hand re remove quickly from the stove. Whoosh! It's a signal. It is a gift from God to help protect you. And as physical pain is to the body, so guilt is to the soul regarding sin. And we'll talk about that as well from a biblical point of view. And then finally, the last two myths. Telling a Christian who is depressed to pray and read the Bible is just a canned, ineffectual platitude. I've heard that a lot. And some Christians get upset and frustrated with that. Oh, you, you're just telling me to pray and read my Bible. And so that's going to do anything. Well, actually, yeah, it will. Are you a Christian? It's supposed to. That's like the fundamentals of Christianity. Talking to God and listening to God. It's where it starts. That's absolutely found. That is not a platitude. That is insulting to God to say that and his word. And then finally, number 20. Uh, having depression is an excuse to justify sinful and wrong behavior. 
some 25-year-old crazy man goes and shoots 17 school children to death. And then immediately, within hours, the news television stations are telling us, well, basically justifying his behavior because he, he struggled from severe chronic depression. He couldn't help himself. No, yeah, he could. He's responsible. He's accountable. That was wrong. That was sin. That was murderous. God hated it. He is responsible. And we're not dismissing the fact that maybe he did suffer from depression, but it doesn't exonerate, justify his behavior and the accountability that goes with it. So those are 20 myths. 20 myths. There are more, but we won't go into those. With that background, with that introduction, let's go on to point number one. And like I said, it's probably one of the most important ones, at least that I've experienced in counseling Christians and foundational if you are a Christian when thinking about depression, either your bouts with depression or how you counsel or talk to a friend and your view and diagnosis of it. Point number one, the Bible talks about depression. Boy, this is pretty complex stuff, isn't it? The Bible talks about depression. You've got to start there. Why am I saying that? Because I read books that, by Christians that say, no, the Bible doesn't talk about depression. I talk to Christians who say the Bible doesn't talk about depression. It doesn't address it. Yes, it does. I already read three verses that explicitly refer to it. They could go on and on from Genesis to Revelation of where depression is all over the place, either, either explicitly stated by name, as we just saw, or manifest in somebody's life, or modeled in a solution, or a heart's cry of the psalmist. There are so many examples of depre depression is all over the Bible because ever since Genesis 3, human beings have been depressed because of sin, God's wrath, the curse, Satan, the devil, and everything else that goes along with the consequences of sin. But along with this point, the Bible talks about depression. I put there Romans 15.4, which says from the Apostle Paul, whatever was written in earlier times, the Old Testament, the Old Te great stuff. 39 books, the Old Testament, great stories. They're true. One of the benefits of reading the Old Testament stories is for this reason. Whatever was written in the Old Testament was written for our instruction, New Testament saints. God gave that as a treasury and a gift to us in order that for the purpose of that through perseverance, you know, you can get perseverance, gain in perseverance, gain perspective, gain endurance and keep on keeping on. When you read stories from the Old Testament, it is encouraging. It is uplifting. You can identify with the scenarios and the people that is by design. That is God's intent. Whatever was written in Old Testament times was written for the benefit of us, for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures... Wow, what does a depressed person need? Encouragement first and foremost, right? Absolutely. That is the solution. And look at this beautiful phrase. The encouragement of the Scriptures. The encouragement of the Bible. The encouragement of the living Word of God. Pierces the soul, the conscience, the heart, the mind deep within the inner recesses of the human heart like nothing else in the universe. The encouragement of the Scriptures that feeds the soul, heals the soul. Boy, if you're depressed, you're discouraged, you're down in the dumps, what do you need? You need a big dose and an ongoing dose of the encouragement of the Scriptures. And what is the byproduct when you immerse yourself in the Word of God, even when you don't feel like the byproduct is the end of the verse, so that we might have hope? What is the diagnosis of a depressed person? They don't have hope. They are hopeless. They need hope. Where does hope come from? Right here. The encouragement of the Scriptures. Boy, if you've been suffering from any degree of depression this week, 
at a minimum, you don't have to hear the next two sermons. All you've got to do is bask in the reality as a child of God, as a born-again believer, remembering 2 Corinthians 7, 6, that God comforts the depressed. This week you're down in the dumps or you had a lousy week last week and you don't know what you're going to do this week, but you are a Christian, a child of God. Just remember what I said earlier. That wonderful counselor from Isaiah 9, 6, Jesus, your Savior. And the Holy Spirit who lives in you. The Holy Spirit, your comforter, your counselor, the one who provides encouragement. And this great promise here, you've got a Bible. Get your nose in the Word of God. Listen to it taught. Listen to it uh, preached and read, whatever you can, to, to immerse yourself in the, the waters, the refreshing waters of God's truth. As a result, you will find encouragement and you will have hope. And even if it's for a short time, even if it's just for the day, what a blessing that is, right? That is a gift from God. So the Bible talks about depression. Look at Psalm 32. I remember I was counseling someone. This is like 15 years ago. Uh, it was a professing believer. It's nobody in this room or in the listening audience. But I remember this believer giving their testimony. This was the most severe case of depression I had ever encountered in my life. And I listened to them telling me diagnosing themselves of why they were overcome with depression. They had a nervous breakdown. I said, explain that to me. What do you feel? What's going through your mind? How are your days? How are you living? And they described it in detail. And when they were done, I just thought immediately of Psalm 32. So I read this psalm to them. And when I read this psalm to them, I said, does this sound like you? And they said, wow. That does, they could totally identify. So let's look at it real quick. Psalm 32, the Bible talks about depression. Here it's illustrated in the life of David. If you think of, that's the amazing thing. If you were the who's who of the godliest men in the Bible, and who are the top ten godliest men of the Bible, I would say Job, David, Elijah, Jonah, John the Baptist, Peter, Paul, Jesus. Every single one of them had bouts with depression. And it's delineated in Scripture. And right now we're just going to look at David. David had committed sin. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then to hide it, he murdered Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Basically, indirectly, but he was responsible. And he tried to hide the murder. He tried to hide the adultery. He was a believer. He was the king of Israel. He was the leader of them all. He was supposed to be the shepherd. He was a prophet of God. He was supposed to lead the people. He was a man of God. He loved God. God loved him. But these were horrific sins that he had been involved in. And for as long as he could, for many, many months, almost an entire year, David tried to hide his sin. Actually, he successfully did. Until he got exposed. When the prophet of God put his finger in David's face and confronted him on his sin. I believe Psalm 32 was written during this one-year period when David was battling on the inside with severe, chronic, clinical depression. And listen to what he said. Because of his sin and the compromise in his life. 
And, and at the end of that, he, he does get forgiven. But he's reflecting back on what the turmoil in his soul was like. He said, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. God. And so David was forgiven. There were severe consequences, but he was forgiven. And now he's reflecting back of what it was like, how depressed he was as a believer during this time. When I kept silent about my sins, see that... That, is, that can be a key cause of depression. When you are silent about your sin, you're running from God as a believer, you're hiding your sin from God, you're, you're ignoring your guilt. When I kept silent about my sin, and look at the detail here, my body wasted away. Depression physically affects us, especially for prolonged periods of time. His body wasted away. You lose your appetite. You can't sleep. You have insomnia. You just get worse and worse. You spiral down. That is exactly what happened to David. And this had nothing to do with chemical imbalances. That was not the cause. He probably had chemical imbalances as this thing got going. And it made the problem worse. But it wasn't the root cause. When I kept telling about my sin... My body wasted away through my groaning all day. See, there was this continual, unbroken, ongoing groaning in his soul. That is chronic depression. There was no solution. Nobody could comfort him with words. Verse 4, For day and night God's hand was heavy upon me. Day and night I was being pressed down by God. Day and night I was being depressed by the heavy hand of God's judgment. Depression, literally that is what that means. Not every cause of depression is a bad thing. Sometimes, get this, God causes the depression from His holy purifying wrath. That's what this verse says. Day and night, God's heavy hand was down upon me, literally crushing me down, pushing me down, trying to get me to fess up and repent is the imagery my vitality, literally all of my strength. And that is common of somebody who has chronic clinical depression. They lose strength and desire in every area of life. And that's what David, he is the poster child of whatever you want to call it. Psychotic, neuroses, depression, uh, major depression, bipolar, dep whatever. Day and night, God's hand was upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of the summer. I acknowledged finally my sin to thee, my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and God forgave him of his sin. Isn't that awesome? Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to God in a time when God may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not reach him. In other words, pray to God, confess your sin before it's too late, before you get swallowed up, before you get swallowed up by the consequences of your own sin or a lack of relief. And that happens to Christians. Or you get swallowed up by suicide, drowning in the mire of your own depression before it's too late. That's what David is talking about. So, is depression in the Bible? Absolutely. Do spiritual people suffer with depression? Absolutely. Some of the greatest, strongest Christians ever suffered with depression. I'm just going to tell you the rest of them who did. And I'll give you the verse reference and you can look at it. Other godly men who suffered with depression? Elijah, 1 Kings 19. He just saw unbelievable miracles against false prophets and then he heard about some lady who was ferocious and hated his guts and wanted to kill him and her name was Jezebel and then he turned into a scaredy cat and then he's crying in the corner to God, God, take my life, Jezebel, she's scary and mean after he just wiped out all these false prophets or dealt with them and he had a severe doubt of, of depression. Elijah, the great prophet who did miracles 
First Kings 19. Jonah got depressed in Jonah chapter 4. He was a prophet of God, a man of God. And in Jonah 4, it says he started talking to God and he said, God, take my life. He, he, was, he wanted to commit suicide. He got depressed. Suicidal, that's the severest degree of depression that you could undergo. And Jonah the prophet suffered from that in Jonah 4. John the Baptist, one of the strongest men physically and spiritually who ever lived. One of the godliest men who ever lived, according to Jesus himself. You see it in Matthew chapter 3 where he comes out bold and strong and proclaiming at the top of his lungs publicly before all the leaders of Israel without a fear or a care of the consequences. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. In Matthew chapter 3. Then you read in Matthew chapter 14 that John the Baptist got arrested by Herod. Because in his boldness, John the Baptist pointed the finger at Herod and called him an adulterer publicly. You have violated God's institution of holy marriage. And Herod had him arrested. Then he sat to rot in a prison cell month after month after month. No communication from anybody for long periods of time. And then finally, John the Baptist as a weak human being fell into what I believe was a deep state of chronic clinical depression the great john the baptist and we see the fruits of it in matthew chapter 9 where he finally had messengers sent his messengers to tell them go ask jesus ask this jesus who i sit in this jail cell for if he is the one this is taking too long is jesus the messiah and then jesus tells john's disciples you go tell John, and then Jesus quotes from Old Testament Scripture, I am indeed the Messiah. I am fulfilling the Scripture. I'm fulfilling Isaiah. Encourage John with these words. So the reality of depression was true for John the Baptist, the strongest spiritual man who ever lived. And the solution by Jesus was the encouragement of the Scriptures. Go tell John, quote, and then he quotes the Old Testament. Because John needed to be encouraged in the soul. John the Baptist, Peter, great strong Christian, he got depressed. Um, Matthew 26, he tried to, he got to a point where he almost wanted to commit suicide. As far as we know, he was just so distressed. It doesn't say suicide, but he was overwhelmed with grief because he denied his Savior. Who knows what went on in his mind? And he was afraid. He was afraid till the day of resurrection. He was afraid and overcome with fear until he saw the resurrected Christ. Matthew 26, Paul. The, apostle, the great apostle, uh, 2 Corinthians 1.8 talks about how distressed and stressed out he was at different times in his ministry. Uh, it said that he even uh, feared or got to a point of depression that was so low that he even considered taking his life. He does refer to suicide. Despising life itself, said Paul, because of the hardships in his life. And then he delineates those hardships in 2 Corinthians 11 of being beaten and shipwrecked and chased out of town and mocked and betrayed by the closest of Christian friends. So there was no greater example of a deep state of depression than the Apostle Paul was subjected to. And there were times Pastor Paul is entertaining, God, take me, I don't want to live in this life anymore. You can't get uh, worse than that in terms of depression. Paul was a real man, he struggled with it. Then finally Jesus... I think of Matthew 28, 38, where he told his disciples, I am incredibly distressed in my soul. You know what he's saying? I am depressed. This was just before his death. 
He was so depressed and distressed and overcome with grief that as he was praying the night that he was betrayed, it said that his sweat literally turned to blood. Blood was coming out of his pores. That's how intense his distress was. Jesus, the Messiah, the God-man, was subjected to, had to deal with the reality of what we'll call depression. But Jesus never sinned in his depression. But it was still just as intense, and I believe it was more intense than any kind of grief, distress, or depression that any human being has ever experienced because he was God in a body and felt the full effects of that horrific trial that plagued him. I want to close with that. Go ahead and look at Hebrews chapter 4. This is a wonderful, encouraging promise to Christians, to believers. If you're a Christian, you know Jesus Christ personally. He is your high priest. He is your advocate. He is your mediator. He prays for you. Do you know that Jesus prayed for you? Jesus prays for you continually. Jesus identifies with you. Jesus feels your pain literally. Jesus has been through your pain literally on earth. There's no struggle that we have that he can't identify firsthand as our high priest. He's the perfect high priest. He's the perfect high priest because he's God in a body and he can overcome anything. And he's the perfect mediator because he was also 100% man and identified literally with everything we were ever subjected to. There is nothing, I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody and you're trying to counsel them and they said, oh, you can't relate. You can't relate. You've never been through it. Oh, you're not a woman. You can't relate. You're not a parent. You can't relate. Or whatever the excuse was. Jesus can relate to every problem and trial and struggle we have. And here it is in Hebrews chapter 4. Because you're a Christian, because you've been born again, because you know the Father, because you have the Spirit living in you, because of the great work of the Lord Jesus Christ, since then, verse 14, we have a great high priest. Jesus is great, isn't he? The high priest. That, what does that mean? A high priest prays for the people. Jesus is praying for his people. Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is praying for you. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He is praying to the Father face to face on your behalf. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Even Jesus himself has been tempted in this area of suffering, distress, and depression. He faced it head on. He overcame it victoriously. And as a result, he intercedes in that area on our behalf. As a result, we can have great encouragement and hope. Verse 16, let us who are believers, let us who know Christ, therefore draw near to the throne of God with confidence, to the throne of grace in order that we may receive mercy and may find grace in help to help in the time of need. Boy, what a great promise. So this week, Christian, if you are ever confronted or suffering with depression, distress, being distraught, Go immediately to the throne of grace. That should be your first recourse. God, help me. And if you're a child of God, you know what? He will. He will. That's the great promise from Scripture itself. With that, let's go to the Father who is at the throne of grace. Father, we thank you so much for these great truths that come from your living word. Thank you for the care that you have for your people. Father, you know that we we have desires and let, yet it was the lord jesus the high priest who said that the spirit was willing and yet the flesh was weak god we are weak we're weak in our thinking we're weak in our emotions we are weak physically we are weak in endurance we're weak spiritually we need your help thank you for the promise that you will give mercy and grace 
at any time of need if we plead with you. Thank you so much for that great truth. Encourage our hearts. We commit all things to you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.